Hi, TikTokers. I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington, and you're listening to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, I talk with Taylor Hatmaker about the TikTok CEO's congressional testimony, and Jackie Melanick is here to catch us up on everything that's been going on in crypto, from Do Kwon's arrest to the SEC suing the Tron founder and a handful of celebrities. But before we get into that, I'll go over this week's top stories in tech. Amazon has decided to pull the plug on DP Review, one of the world's leading photography gear websites. Amazon acquired the publication way back in 2007, but left it relatively untouched, and it's continued to be a favorite for both pros and enthusiasts alike. The website will be shuttered entirely on April 10th, and all the amazing content they've created over the years will be removed too. Already, it's prompting outcry and appeals to Amazon to save the site from the photographic community. More on this from Devin Coldaway on TechCrunch. Amazon announced layoffs of 9,000 more employees this week. The layoffs add to the 18,000 job cuts the company did just a few months ago, indicating it underestimated just how deeply it would be impacted by ongoing economic turmoil. This time around, the layoffs include AWS, traditionally seen as a rock-solid element of Amazon's business. You can check out more on TC from Ron Miller. Google finally started letting people have access to its Bard generative conversational AI chatbot this week. Bard has already drawn some negative attention for questionable answers and capabilities. We ran Bard head-to-head against a couple of its competitors, including the just-released GPT-4 from OpenAI, and Google's take on the tech definitely came up wanting. You can see all the results on TechCrunch from Devin Coldaway. Speaking of AI, and we seldom speak of anything else these days, Microsoft revealed that Bing can make images as well as have conversations now. That's thanks to a fresh integration of Dolly, powered by, quote, the latest models available from OpenAI. Bing is fast on its way to becoming the most preeminent AI-powered search engine out there, for better or for worse. Frederick Lardinois has more on TechCrunch. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk to some of our famous and esteemed TechCrunch writers. First up, Jackie Melanick catches me up on the legal chaos happening in crypto this week. Hey, Jackie, how's it going? Hey, Daryl, it is going well. It's been a very long week, but well. Yes, yeah, it has been a long week. I hate to break it to you, but it's not over as of this recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's never over, it's is almost it? Over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about why it's been such a long week, especially in crypto land. It seems like there's been a lot of developments. We got some arrests, we got some lawsuits, we got some mm-hmm. intense. It's hard to say exactly what Wells notices, but maybe you can explain that to us and yeah. the listeners here. But maybe we'll start there because Coinbase. Arguably the largest player remaining in crypto in terms of institutional entities, I think. But what happened with Coinbase this week? Yeah, so the SEC is kind of clamping down on the crypto world, as you hinted before, but in kind of like two different ways. So with Coinbase, and that's the second largest crypto exchange in the world behind Binance, it received a Wells notice earlier this week from the Securities and Exchange Commission And for those not familiar, a Wells Notice is a letter from the SEC that they usually send to people or firms, usually saying that, hey, the SEC is going to bring some type of enforcement action against them. So it's like a a little warning. I don't know. I feel like if I ever got 
some form of that in my personal life that would stress me out. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I think it stressed out Coinbase too. And it said, quote, advise the company that it made a preliminary determination to recommend that the SEC file enforcement action against the company, alleging violations of the federal securities law. So, okay. So why, would, <laughs> why do they do this typically? Just a little more detail on the Wells notice, I guess. But like, is it to give them a chance to correct anything? Or is it just kind of like a due process thing? I think it does have to do with both of those things. And oftentimes with Wells notices, it's more like, hey, correct this or we will charge you. But I think Coinbase has been pretty firm on their stance that they haven't done anything wrong. After the notice, execs from the company, including the CEO, Brian Armstrong, and some chief policy officers did a Twitter space on Thursday to discuss the decision or the Wells notice and Coinbase's next steps. And like the biggest narrative they had was that regulators should come up with clearer rules so they could follow them because the current laws aren't clear and they shouldn't apply right. to crypto companies. And then some of the biggest points from the SEC was about the violation of the federal securities laws I mentioned, but also the idea of staking, which the SEC has cracked down on in the past with a company, for example, like Kraken. They had a staking service and that basically was shut down. Kraken said voluntarily, but it also came with charges from the SEC. So that's up to debate. But in the filing on Wednesday from the SEC, it basically indicated that the staking service might run afoul of the securities law. Hmm. But the argument from Coinbase and other market players in the space is that in 2021, when Coinbase went public, through that process, the SEC... Examined. Yeah, right. they examined this. And apparently, I have this written down, in the company's S1 filing, there were 57 mentions of staking. But it wasn't a problem until, like, you know, fast forward two years. Maybe the rules have changed. Maybe they weren't as diligent at the time. Maybe yeah. they just weren't as concerned. I'm not sure what the answer is there, but it seems definitely focused around staking. Yeah, yeah. Like you can understand both perspectives here, right? Like especially when you go through that process, that's a heavily scrutinized process mm -hmm. on the regulator side and on the banker side, right? Like so it's supposed to be that this is where you're doing awards and all sort of thing. And then you're revealing these things and objections should come up then. I think, you know, if I was to imagine what the SEC's answer would be, I would think like a lot of it would be around I mean I don't think they would ever admit this but I think a lot of it would be around things move very quickly and yeah. government organizations do not move that quickly right and mm -hmm. like there needs to be a digestion time and like because there is not immediate notification of violation of enforcement in case of like contested laws or whatever does not mean you get a free pass it's like everybody <laughs> gets to do whatever they want and yeah, then right. like later like it's kind of like if you imagine like a novel drug coming out on like the illicit yeah. drug market right like you wouldn't be like well i mean that one wasn't listed in our laws of mm -hmm. illicit drugs so i guess we're all chill with everything you guys did until we figured it out right no i'm, I'm totally with you on this and i i don't think i'm like swaying one way or the other you know it's yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of like no, no, no. the reality of the things i'm hearing from other people and i think the best part about this regardless of like what may come from the wells notice is that there will be like more open transparent dialogue between yeah. the sec and coinbase and coinbase is like a major player in the crypto space so the fact that they're going to be able to get out there and go to court and like come to a determination with the sec i think is a win-win for both sides because right. we'll get clarity from the SEC and then the crypto industry will get clarity on behalf of Coinbase. So Yeah, because right now they're effectively living in two parallel but separate worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Like in Coinbase's world, all this stuff is fine. In the SEC's rule world, all this stuff is already like 
de facto illegal or whatever, right? And like the two don't have any dialogue or connection point whatsoever. So mm-hmm. the court will be able to make a determination that's like precedent setting and establishes some kind of clarity. I mean, Coinbase would probably still argue, even regardless of the result of this case, unless it's like supremely in their favor, that like we need clear articulation and guidelines yeah. beforehand as opposed to relying on court precedent, right? It's also pretty one-sided because the SEC just doesn't, you know, comment on literally anything. Like, I've reached out in the past and I've been like, did you guys charge so-and-so? And And it's like they literally put a press release out and they're like, please refer to, like, our website. You know, like, they don't even say, like, yeah, we did. And so, like, in this situation, it's just, like, Coinbase coming out with, like, fire shots over and over saying, like, how bad the SEC is. Or they're not saying how bad it is, but they're saying, like, this is inappropriate. This isn't fair. Like we tried making rules with them. So it's like a one-sided story right now. And I get their anger, but at the same time, I'm sure the SEC has their reasons too. Yeah, they do. And I think <laughs> like... <laughs> I wish they could talk. Yeah. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, I don't think it's as one-sided. I See, when I look at this, I see a lot of like people trying to make arguments for like rule violations that the SEC is clear. Like they're making it simple for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, no, 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 this looks feels and acts like a security therefore Mm -hmm. we will treat it as one like it shouldn't need to be more complex than that if that's their true actual stance right and i think the appropriate response if that's the position they're taking is okay well then now the next step is a court determines whether that is accurate or not right like Mm -hmm. if if they're just fully believe like this is what it is then they're they don't really need to articulate anything further than that right like (laughs) the side yelling about like no, this isn't that, has a lot more to explain. Like, why so defensive is basically the real response, right? Yeah. Like, I think this is like the actual right way for this to proceed mm-hmm. in this specific case. Most of the time, I think regulators are not doing things in the way that is like most beneficial to both sides of the industry. I think in this one, it doesn't seem a real impediment to true innovation as it mm. comes to the actual underlying technology and does seem to address more specifically more speculative uses of the technology which have no ultimate benefit in like a product or service mm-hmm. output yeah i mean i don't normally strongly express any opinions this one just seems <laughs> relatively right settled at this point and then there's an outlier group that is like making a lot of noise yeah but. i think the only like rebuttal not the only but a rebuttal to that is mm. that there is concern that there could be like a chilling effect or just, you know, U.S. companies are like, fine, if the government's going to be like cracking down on things, we'll just go abroad. Right. And we saw that with like the semiconductor industry in the past that, you know, the U.S. kind of didn't really provide clear clarity on that. And it went abroad and now they're trying to pull it back in. And it's like, is it too little too late, you know, or was right. it too much? And so hopefully the crypto industry and regulators alike can like come to a conclusion sooner rather than later in the U.S. because we're seeing it globally. And it's not like yeah. other countries aren't providing regulatory practices for the industry. Of course they are. But I think they're providing good clarity on it. And I think, you know, the U.S. is trying, but they're just moving a little slow. So Yeah. I mean, that's a fair argument. But you also then to buy that argument, have to buy the premise that <laughs> The technology is similar to like semiconductors in that it is like no, is that, an exchange yeah. <laughs> of resources. It's an analogy, for, yeah. Right. For I, I still have not seen a convincing argument almost anywhere that crypto is anything except for like a use of resources that is like overly complex and whose output is insignificant compared to like existing more efficient methods. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's intentionally yeah. complex and the product out is like, okay, great. Like we could have achieved this in other ways. So that versus semiconductor, like, 
it's like, okay, I don't actually care if that goes abroad because uh-huh. it's great. Like it's a snake that eats its own tail, right? But mm-hmm. this is a That's ongoing a- <laughs> debate. We have different positions internally, editorially at TechCrunch. Don't think that they affect our coverage. They don't. We treat it all equally, but we're also not shy about sharing our actual positions on these things. So mm-hmm. I think before we get into the weeds about that, I think we should talk to about some of the other stuff that happened this week. So there was also an arrest. Not a TechCrunch. major figure. Yeah. Not a TechCrunch. Yeah. <laughs> So what happened here? Yeah, so Do Kwan, who is the founder of Terraform Labs, that is the creator of the not-so-stable, now-dead, algorithmic stablecoin Terra and its sister cryptocurrency Luna, which Mm. collapsed in May and wiped out basically $40 billion from the cryptocurrency market. That's the world's longest intro to this man. But his name is Do Kwan, and he was arrested in an airport in Montenegro. For context, like I said, he was under investigation for the past 11 months for the Terra Luna collapse, And it basically set off this massive domino effect of pain for many crypto companies in the space like FTX, major name, who was previously intertwined with the Terra empire by like having money on like Terra Luna. So not Mm -hmm. on Terra Luna, but they had the tokens. And so, yeah, we are here today, almost a year to the point close and he got arrested yes and he like has previously said he wasn't like running or <laughs> he was not on the run quote unquote yeah right i guess that the, like <laughs> at the time it could have been true and now it could be different but like there was an interpol red notice i think issued shortly after that right yeah, yeah. and it seems like there was some details about this that there were he was making some attempts to like obfuscate his yeah. identity and stuff right? yeah so like as you mentioned in september his whereabouts were kind of unknown Some people were saying he was in Dubai because that country doesn't really have like extradition laws to the U.S. And Interpol issued a red notice requesting law enforcement, you know, worldwide to look for him and arrest him. And that was in late September. And shortly after, the South Korean government also ordered Do Kwan to surrender his passport or risk it getting revoked. And it's unclear whether or not he gave it back, but it seems like he might have because basically... When he was arrested, he was with Tara's CFO, and they were attempting to board a flight to Dubai, as people were whispering that he was probably in Dubai, but he wasn't at this point. But he had fake Costa Rican documents, and they also found fake Belgian documents, three laptops, and five phones. So those documents definitely don't reflect a South Korean passport. It's pretty crazy. Well, I mean, more will come out as this progresses. I'm sure there'll Mm -hmm. be lots of opportunity to report as the trial proceeds but or whatever they end up doing right yeah whoever gets the extradition and then whoever gets the court case yeah all right jackie well thank very much for joining us and i appreciate you catching us up on the news there's more still on this and go read all of jackie's coverage on the site to catch up on all of it because the sec has also sued justin's son of tron and a few other people Mm -hmm. just for you know what they say is sec violations but yeah it's a very busy week so there's Mm -hmm. lots to read and i encourage you to read it all thanks very much jackie yeah thanks for having me on next i talk with taylor hatmaker who has just come from a grueling day of watching tiktok's testimony to congress hey taylor how's it going i'm all right how are you good good uh it's been a week that's for sure lots of activity Lots of government activity, actually. We already talked to Jackie about crypto government agency things, but now we're talking about TikTok and Congress and the great, I was going to say collab, but it's not a collab, but the Congress X TikTok. (laughs) 
conflagration for sure. No, it's like a collab house. They're all living together. <laughs> all the executives of TikTok are living in a house with all the TikTok <laughs> And that's how this week. That would be, that, that's like the only way they can truly understand one another, I think. So let's make that Actually, happen. Actually, it's not the worst idea. It's better than a lot of ideas that came up yesterday. We'll get into that. Yes. So it was long. It felt long. <laughs> Yes, it sure was long. I mean, there were two breaks, but it ran for more than five hours, which wow. is epic even by congressional standards. Let's actually step back and say exactly what it is we're talking about. So TikTok's CEO was in front of Congress and all the congressional committee members, I suppose, in this case were, it was a bipartisan committee. Maybe you can share the full details of the committee name in this particular instance, because I don't know. Totally. It was a committee in the House, the House Energy and Commerce Committee, mm. which like sounds kind of random. But honestly, a lot of these tech hearings are just kind of like whatever committee made it happen, had folks who wanted it to happen. The timing worked out. You know what I mean? And so this committee was very concerned with TikTok's energy generation. No, but the other part, the commerce part. <laughs> <laughs> Each member got a allotment of time to essentially grill the CEO on whatever they found most particularly concerning or wanted to just talk about, maybe, whether or not it had to do with TikTok. It was usually relevant. I will say, usually they were talking about the topic of TikTok, the company. So like that is like a low bar to clear, but they mostly cleared it, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And I mean, it was like a pretty wide ranging conversation, right? So it's like a whole bunch of representatives you know, some of which don't get much time in the spotlight in general. Mm -hmm. And everyone wants their, you know, sound bites and their moment and to do their big posturing and be strong on China, whatever. You know, there's a lot of that sentiment floating around in the U.S. government right now, obviously. But there was, I mean, the topics were really wide ranging, honestly. It's part of the reason it went so long. And a lot of them are things we've heard before. In some ways, it wasn't that different than the other tech hearings that we've had. It was kind of like a normal tech hearing, like with Meta or, you know, whoever, YouTube or Twitter, but then with like a layer of like strong on China, like stuff yeah. on top, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And that's like, I dipped in and out a couple times during this. And I, what struck me was that, was that like some of the questions were straight up the middle, kind of like internet governance and internet kind of moderation questions and like who will think of the children type questions, which is the same type of stuff that Zuckerberg will get asked during these things, right? But then, you know, it would be whiplash because the next person would come up and say, like, how often do you talk to the CCP or whatever? And it's like, oh, wow, okay, that's uh, quite different from this other thing we were just talking about. And then some people helpfully merged them both. You know, I think the, one of the representatives from Texas, the great state of Texas, was saying, like, you're making our kids woke and also pro-CCP as if in the same breath, as if the two things are <laughs> internally yoked together. Yeah, the kids are loving the CCP. Everybody knows. Um, so, yeah, there was like a lot going on. They were, very, I mean, just like any congressional hearing, there were wildly varying levels of competence. Many of them trended kind of on the low side of the spectrum in terms of technical competence, in mm -hmm. terms of evidence that they had ever opened the app. Some of them obviously had their congressional staffers open the app and like came with fun foam boards illustrating things they were mad about. Yes. <laughs> so, again, that was kind of like a normal congressional hearing. But, you know, like looming over all of this. So, this is just like one part of what's going on with the US government right now is Congress being like, we're mad about this. We're scared of China. It's politically advantageous for us to be really angry at China right now for lots of reasons. You know, whether that's a misread of the situation given TikTok's popularity in the US is uh, remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that plays out. But you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that kind of escalated in the last like week or week and a half or so. The US basically like, we won't get all the way into it, but during the Trump administration, Trump was like, ah, oh, we want to ban TikTok. And he's like, I'm going to force the sale of TikTok to a US company, mm -hmm. which like is kind of with the Biden administration 
picked back up. Like those efforts fell apart. We won't go into too much detail there. The Biden administration in the last few weeks was like, hey, actually, we want to ban TikTok unless we can force the sale to US, a U.S. entity or force you to divest from your Chinese ownership, basically. Right. Yeah. And you can read all about all the rest of that stuff on TechCrunch, by the way, listeners, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of what happened during the Trump administration, we have great historical coverage of that. That's a great website. It is a great website. I've, you know, really I've heard good things about it. I've never read it myself, but I have heard that it's quite, quite good. I bookmarked it, but I, don't, I just want people to think. About it. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think one of the big questions coming out of this hearing or leading into this hearing from people that I was talking to was, you know, is this, is it going to have actual effect? Are we going to see TikTok banned as a result of what happened at this hearing? Or, you know, on the flip side, did TikTok successfully defend its existence and position and ownership and kind of allay any fears? Or what was the kind of outcome? You're gonna have to remind me, there's a two-part question. I'm gonna do one part and then I'll forget the other part. Sure. Don't remind me what it was. Are we gonna see TikTok banned because of anything that happened this hearing? I really doubt this hearing will have like any kind of causal impact on honestly anything whatsoever. I kind of see these hearings as like a way best case scenario to get like random tidbits of information that is not public about a company that either the CEO in question is testifying he accidentally discloses or they wind up having to disclose after the fact because congressional committees can like request information and Mm. they often like do it via letter and then they'll send back information. So we do get interesting stuff occasionally that way as journalists. But yeah, the other the other side of it is just kind of getting like a cross section of like random things that are politically going on. Mm. What, people, what people are mad about, what people are saying their constituents care about, whether that's true or not. You know, we, we kind of just heard a lot of like, you know, sound and fury from Congress. And we're like, okay, these are all issues that people are like concerned about, you know, things from child, like child safety online, which obviously is like a huge ongoing thing yeah. in the regulatory environment that, you know, some other places are making more progress than the U.S. on. From that to, again, concerns that TikTok could somehow be leveraged by the Chinese government for like spying, for, you know, leveraging its data, tracking citizens, things like that. Yeah, and a nice, I say nice way, but I don't necessarily mean it like that. But it's in a digestible way. I would say these are like a nice sort of slice of life of this moment in time. Like what are the paranoias and the frustrations and the concerns of like the American psyche. And you're right, it's not one-to-one, right? Because it's like, there are all kinds of other interests involved and it's not necessarily that all these congressional members represent their constituents in in perfect replica, right? But it is a good, like, generally speaking, these are the things that are concerning for the voting public, or at least these is the things that the elected officials interpret as concerning for the voting public, right? Yeah, or what they perceive will be again, yeah. politically advantageous for them, which like again says a lot about what's going on in the U.S. And you know, the U.S. obviously leads culture in a lot of ways. Its regulation could change a lot of things about how business gets done globally if it cracks down on certain things, um, given how many companies we have operating here and coming out of here. So yeah, yeah like you said, it's it's kind of like a reflection of the American psyche through the lens of some people who are just wildly out of touch with some aspects. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the better way to put it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> so we, the other thing I think you mentioned that Congress will like has the ability to request additional information. It seemed like there could be a lot of that resulting from this. Like there could be a lot more formal letter writing and like expectations of follow up because I would say the most common answer I heard from the TikTok side was like, I'll have to check out back on that or I'll definitely take that back to my team or we will consider this or whatever, right? Because a lot of the, the congressional uh, members were asking for specific action, which I thought was maybe some of the more effective use of time. Like they would say like, oh, well, me and my staffers found this behavior. Can you mm-hmm. take action to correct this behavior like X, Y, Z? And then totally. The- and like tech companies, again, like 
in a lot of ways, like Shochu, TikTok CEO came across just like any other tech CEO through a lot of it. He was like, I don't know. I'm going to, you know, you see him evading questions. He doesn't want to answer because they're awkward. He doesn't want to disclose about his personal finances. But like in a lot of cases, yeah, TikTok kind of seems like any other company, any other social media company in a lot of ways. And arguably the larger concerns about TikTok, the ones that actually matter are actually the same as the concerns we should have about any other social media company. Stuff like TikTok providing data to third-party data brokers, like, you know, through, through other parties. Then, like, there's free-floating data out there that anyone can buy. Anyone can do anything they want with. Like, I mean, you know, there's definitely an argument that the Chinese government doesn't need to leverage the company directly to access, like, loads of, you know, fascinating, telling information on the behavior of American citizens. It could just buy that data because it's floating around in the market. Yeah, I mean, you can make a very... that's a regulatory problem. That's a problem we could solve, and we're choosing not to, and instead we're having five-hour hearings where we, like, yell a lot about... How <laughs> lots of things. We yell about it. <laughs> We're always yelling. Yeah, yeah. You could make a very compelling argument that like it is actually inefficient and like a poor use of resources for China to invest in creating its own platform from scratch and then trying to glean the data that it particularly wants through like manipulating user behavior on that platform to focus on that versus going out and buying it on the open market where it's like plentiful and cheap, right? Totally. And I will say, like, China does have. It's not to say that China doesn't have any leverage. Like it is correct to say that in China, private companies work differently than they do here. There are understandings in China where like the Chinese government comes to your company in China and is like, hey, we're, we want to know something. Like it's not clear, at least as a person in the US, that a Chinese company could resist that kind of mm-hmm. pressure. It, it definitely seems kind of like implicit in the way that you would operate, you know, a company in China. Like yeah. there might be a risk of some kind of government, government messing with stuff. And gov- the government does that in the US too, just like potentially in, in a less direct or, or less dramatic way. But China can also, you know, the, the U.S. government's like, hey, we want TikTok to sell, to invest its Chinese interests. Yesterday, China put out a statement and we're like, that's not happening. We mm-hmm. actually have we have rules that say that we can say actually Chinese companies can't sell unless we say they can right. about certain domains. And one of those applies to TikTok because they changed the rules in, I think, 2020, maybe? Yeah, they were not ambiguous about it. They were like, well, this won't happen. We will not yeah. allow it to happen. Right. And so, you know, will a ban happen? Like, that would be logistically extraordinarily challenging, wildly unpopular in the U.S. and elsewhere. So it will be a mess if it plays out. I still think it's a long shot. I don't really know what the U.S. government is getting at with all of this, right. but I guess we'll find out. But it would be an interesting historical reversal if a ban does come into play, because we, we're very familiar with the dance of Google services in China and people trying to skirt the blocks on those, right? But then it would be the reverse here with like just teens going nuts trying to get at the TikToks behind the great American firewall, I guess. Totally. And, you know, I mean, how that will play out technically would be really fascinating. How I mean, you know, culturally, it would be a moment of probably great hypocrisy yeah. <laughs> as it would be perceived by many people. We're like, ah, freedom of information. You know, you have to worry about China because they can censor information there. They can control what you see and do. It's, it's also strange that it's a bipartisan issue. Everybody. Yeah. Like, yes. You know, it's just weird how these things align politically. The United States is a deranged place in many ways. And we are seeing it play out in this saga. Yes. And on that point, just I would be remiss if I didn't end this conversation without pointing out what our colleague Zach Whitaker repeatedly points out, which is like, you should be afraid of the uh, the homegrown products as well. And perhaps likely more so because of the what you referenced, which is like, there's a lot of data being collected and sold from those entities, right? And it's totally probably going to affect most people more, if not equally, the, the TikTok stuff, right? So. And if TikTok loses, those companies, which have lobbied to make a lot of anti-TikTok sentiment, which arguably could have led up to this hearing, some of that pressure, 
you know, Meta would be a huge winner, for yeah. example. Meta, Meta has no answer to TikTok, you know. Its business is still struggling to catch up with TikTok and its cultural relevance. So this would be like just handing a gift to Facebook and Instagram. Right, which I think we all agree we don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the American way, Daryl. Get on board. I know you're Canadian, but come on. Uh, all right. Thanks very much, <laughs> Taylor. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> well, I guess we'll talk about that in the scene. All right. Thanks again. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all of the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. By the way, I'm going to TechCrunch Early Stage in Boston next month. Join me and save yourself some money by using the code TCPOD for a 40% discount on founder and investor passes for the event, which takes place on April 20th. And as always, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.